RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, April the 24th. 2018 and we've got a lot of ground to cover tonight so i don't want to bore you with too many stories of anything like that i want to get right down into the things i want to talk about uh tonight Uh, i want to talk i want to revisit philly in the starbucks incident uh that took place you know a couple of weeks ago where those two individuals uh were arrested uh and the chief the commissioner uh, of the city of Philadelphia, Commissioner Ross had supported his officers. Uh, now he's changed his tune in that case, saying that he made a mistake uh, and he has flaws and, you know, he shouldn't have supported his officers uh, like that. So that has me feeling some type of way. I'm feeling kind of irritated about that. Uh, and I also want to talk about Nashville, Tennessee. And, you know, this hits close to my heart because I was a police officer in Nashville, and there was a shooting at a Waffle House uh, this past Sunday morning about 3.30 a.m. My phone started going off about 3.45, 4 o'clock in the morning. People asking, was I in Nashville? Was I okay? You know, people assuming since I used to be a Nashville cop, I have the immediate inside scoop to what's going on. But, you know, unless you haven't been watching the news since Sunday, there was a, a mass shooting at a Waffle House uh, where four people died, six people were shot. Uh, there was an extensive manhunt in the city of Nashville. He was caught uh, actually on uh, yesterday afternoon, Monday afternoon. He was caught not too far from his apartment. So I want to uh, dive into that. I want to talk about uh, some things that happened leading up to that and how Nashville police, along with the uh, TBI, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, and some surrounding counties were able to capture this guy. And there was a hero uh, at the Waffle House, uh, James Shaw Jr., who was actually able to disarm the individual before he he, uh, he escaped. He actually saved a lot of lives in that Waffle House, including his, uh, including the workers that were there. So I want to talk about that. But first, I want to get back to Philadelphia. And if you remember, there was this Starbucks, and we've all seen the video where these two individuals were at the Starbucks. Uh, they get arrested because a Starbucks employee called 911 because they were not paying customers. They asked to use the restroom. Now, according to Starbucks, and there's been some different accounts of what Starbucks policy is, but uh, it was understood at the time that Starbucks policy was, hey, if you're not a paying customer, you can't be in here, you got to leave, etc., 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 Police were called 911. They show up. You watch the video and these individuals refuse to leave. So they are arrested. Now, those individuals have gone on this national campaign, this nationwide campaign. They were on GMA, Good Morning America, uh, talking about how they were in fear of their lives. They felt threatened. Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson, they go on the air and say how they felt threatened. Now, if you watch that video, there was no use of force there. 
There was no escalation. There was no yelling. There was no guns drawn. There was no tasers drawn. You know, so to go on the air and say you felt threatened, you you felt in fear. I'm not understanding that other than what I said before, where I think this was a ploy to get a certain agenda across. And now Starbucks is saying that they're going to close, I believe, on the 29th. Don't quote me on that. They're going to close all of their stores nationwide and have racial bias training. Now, one of the things I appreciated about the commissioner, Richard Ross, you know, last week when this happened was that he stood behind his officers. But now as the story is making its rounds, it's playing to a certain political demographic. It's getting on Good Morning America. It's making it seem like these black guys were unjustly targeted. Now the commissioner has gone back and recanted his statement. Now, part of that probably is because he got emails, he got tweets, People probably wanted his resignation. You know, although he's a black man, they probably wanted his resignation because he didn't go along with the status quo. He didn't go along with the narrative and he supported his officers. So now Richard Ross, Commissioner Richard Ross, said in a statement that he made the situation worse and failed miserably in his message around the arrest made the situation worse and failed miserably in his message around the arrest. Now I'm going to dissect that before I read his entire statement. He made the situation worse. Well, how did you do that? You didn't make it worse for your officers. Uh, that statement wasn't worse for your officers. It wasn't worse for your department policy, which says your officers will enforce the law. The only way that situation was made worse, because now, again, there's a certain demographic, including this Rashawn Nelson, this Dante Robinson. There's a certain demographic that say you as a black man should have supported these other black men because you should know how racial bias works. And now you're getting heat from these organizations, I'm sure, which caused you to say you made the situation worse. And you failed miserably in your message around the arrest. Well, I don't think you failed miserably. I think you excelled, actually, because you supported your officers for doing their job. And in that profession, in that career, that is what officers hope for. I know they did when I was on, and I know it's especially true now that officers hope that when they are doing their job and doing it within the realms of the law, in accordance with in accordance with department policy, in accordance with the use of force, in accordance with any law that's out there, that their leadership would have their back. So I don't say I don't think you failed miserably in your initial statement. I think, Commissioner Richard Ross, you have failed miserably. By recanting that statement, by reneging on that statement. And I want to read a quote from his statement. I just think that as we work to make this city safer and better, we do have to acknowledge that there are still things that we need to work on. I assume he means race. It starts at the top and it starts with me. The messaging is important. 
and I failed miserably in this regard. He added, he is flawed like many other people, but that is still no excuse. Ross said the issue of race isn't lost on him and that he shouldn't be making things worse. Well, the whole point of the matter, the fact of the matter is this, that this case, contrary to Good Morning America, contrary to Black Lives Matter, contrary to Sean King and all of these social media attorneys and social media civil rights activists that we see out there, this case was not about race. This case was about two guys who failed to comply with not only Starbucks requests because they have the right to do that. White, black, different, I don't care. It happens across this country all the time. Whether you're white, black, you've been asked to leave somewhere. It's about those two individuals, Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson, not following not only Starbucks policy, but refusing the commands of a law enforcement officer who had a legal right to be there. The legal right being that they were called via 911 about these two individuals trespassing. And what this has to do about these two individuals, Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson, refused to leave when officers arrived. Had they done that, this would not be a national story. It would not be a national outcry. Nobody would know the names Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson. Now, let me take it a step further. Let's say that Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson resisted arrest, and then that was captured on video. Then, oh, my God, oh, my God, look at these racist officers here at the Starbucks for these two kids that didn't do anything. The fact of the matter is they did do something. They refused a lawful command. The easiest way to have avoided being arrested Get up and leave. Listen to the officer that says, hey, you've been warned with trespassing. Do not come back here or we will have to arrest you. End of story. So I'm feeling really upset with the commissioner, Commissioner Richard Ross. And if he hears this, he hears it. I really don't care because A, as a man, you don't go back on your word. B, as a leader, you don't throw your officers under the bus, under any circumstances, because essentially by recanting his statement, he essentially said, yeah, my officers were wrong. My officers were acting based on race because this is what he's saying, because he's using race in it. Listen to it. I just think that as we work to make this city safer and better, we do have to acknowledge that there are still things that we need to work on those things. It's implied or race. So what you're saying when you recanted that statement is your officers were wrong and your officers only targeted these guys because they were black. You totally ignored the fact, like you said in your previous statement, that those two individuals, Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson, were breaking the law. And now they're on this nationwide media tour. Hell, they'll probably have a book out of it. Hell, they'll probably have their own show out of it. But you, as the commissioner of that city in charge of those officers have slapped them in the face. It's a face. And then face. That's what you did when you recanted your statement. So now what do you think your officers in the city of Philadelphia are thinking right now? 
Well, if I do my job, and I know I do it right, and I know I'm acting in accordance with the law, and I know I have a legal right to be here because someone asked me to show up, but since this individual is black, my commissioner, who happens to be black as well, is not going to have my back. So, me as an officer, you know what? Oh, you just shot someone? <laughs> eh, I don't care. Oh, you just broke into this house? Oh, you're black. Nah, nah, no, no, no. I don't want to cuff you because all you got to say is that you felt threatened. Nah, nah, I don't, I don't want to do that. Oh, you just raped someone? <laughs> nah, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to cuff you because, you know, you're black and you could say that you felt threatened or you could say that there's still things we need to work on. So, you know what? I'm just going to let you go. You know, prime example, there is this city, there is this city called Baltimore. You remember Baltimore. You remember 2015. You remember Freddie Gray. And what did I say would happen when those officers were charged? Those officers got charged with all of those crazy charges. They were later acquitted. But what did I say would happen? That crime would go up because police would stop being proactive and only become reactive. And now in the city of Philadelphia, even if you're being reactive, that can come back to slap you in the face and then slap you back in the face and then slap you in the butt. Because even when you're being reactive, i.e. they got the 911 call, they showed up, they acted, that's being reactive instead of proactive where they go out looking for active crimes. These officers now got smacked in the face. So now it wouldn't surprise me if these officers, whoever they were, and there were black officers there, there were white officers there. So you can't say it was a racial thing. It wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me one bit if they came under some kind of stupid charges just to appease just to appease Rashawn Nelson, Dante Robinson, Black Lives Matter, Sean King, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Benjamin Crump, all of these people that have said something about it. It wouldn't surprise me if those officers get some kind of disciplinary action. It just wouldn't surprise me one bit. Would it upset me? Absolutely, because at the end of the day, those officers were doing what they were supposed to do. And listen, I've arrested black people for the exact same thing. Guess what? You never heard Vincent Hill in the news. You never saw Vincent Hill on social media. You never heard Vincent Hill being a racist because he removed this black guy who was trespassing and refused to leave. I got the arrest report history to prove it, baby. I've done it. But guess what? I have also arrested white people for the exact same offense. So I can tell you for a fact, it has nothing to do with race. What's that saying I always say on this show? Let me think. Hold on. I got it. Crime brings police, not color. Crime brings police, not color. There was a crime at the Starbucks, no matter how big or how small you believe that crime to be. The police were called, and guess what brought the police there? The crime. Now, 
in the description? Did it say two black males? Absolutely. But Starbucks does not randomly just call the police on black people when they walk in the door. Just like police don't just randomly get out of their car and shoot black people and kill them and go home and eat tacos. It doesn't work that way. So I'd be really curious to see what happens in the city of Philadelphia as this goes on. Don't be surprised, just like in Baltimore, just like in Ferguson, don't be surprised if you see a spike in crime after Commissioner Ross, Richard Ross, essentially just threw all of his officers under the bus and said, hey, if that suspect is black and this makes the news, I'm not going to have your back. So you do whatever you're going to do, but I'm not going to have your back if that suspect is black. Now, I'd be curious to know, and I may even look this up because it's public record. I may look up how many white individuals in the city of Philadelphia. Hmm, I'm actually going to do that. How many white people in the city of Philadelphia have been arrested for trespassing? And did Commissioner Richard Ross say, oh, no, I was I was wrong for making a statement. Or you guys were wrong or, you know, there's things we need to work on. I bet he didn't. And if I get those numbers, I will be happy, happy to share those right here on RadioInfluence.com. All right. I want to shoot up over to Nashville, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And as you know, that's where I was a police officer uh, for five plus years. And this past Sunday, about 330 Uh, There was a shooting at a Waffle House on Murfreesboro Pike. And this actually used to be in one of my patrol zones when I was working. uh, I want to say that's Hermitage Precinct. It's either either Hermitage or South. Murfreesboro Road is divvied up between uh, the two. And I worked both Hermitage Precinct and South Precinct. But I believe this is on the Hermitage Precinct side of Murfreesboro Road uh, because it's close to... Uh, a few of the streets out there that are in the Hermitage precinct. Uh, But at any rate, uh, 3.30 in the morning, this guy pulls up in his truck. He's sitting in his truck for a few minutes. I'm sure you've heard this by now. Gets out, shoots two people in the parking lot, goes into the Waffle House, begins to shoot. There's an individual by by the name of James Shaw that's inside of the restroom who... It's looking through the swivel door. And if you've been in a Waffle House, you know it's a swivel door that leads to the restroom. But in the middle of it, there's this glass window where you can see into the restaurant. So at one point, the shooter, uh, is he either has a malfunction or um, he's trying to reload. So at this point, Mr. Shaw comes through the door. He hits the individual, Travis Riking, the shooter, with the door. Russell's with him. He's able to get the AR-15 away from him. He tosses it across the counter, but Travis gets away. So he runs out in the woods. Now, keep in mind, he was naked at the time of the shooting. He runs towards the woods, and Nashville police start this extensive manhunt for him. Now, in the midst of this manhunt, it comes out that uh, Travis used to live in Illinois. At some point, he tried to jump over a White House Barry and the Secret Service arrested him. His guns were confiscated and given to his dad. And, you know, that, it, it, yeah, I don't I don't know what to say about that. Right. So you confiscate this guy's guns. Then you give them to his dad, who he lived with at the time. So that's like 
you know, one of those parents that says, oh, you're on punishment. But by five o'clock, they forgot that their kid's on punishment and they let their kid go do whatever. Or, oh, you can't have a cookie. And then the kid cries enough and you just give them a cookie to shut up. Oh, you can't have these guns. Oh, come on, dad. Please let me have the guns. All right, son, you can have the guns, even though you just, you know, got arrested by the Secret Service and they took them from you. You can have the guns. Just shut up. Have the cookie. Shut up. You're not on punishment anymore. Shut up. So the dad gives the guns back to Travis. Travis, at some point, moves to Nashville last fall. Now, what's interesting is, and and someone asked me about this, I guess he had stolen, just last Thursday, he had stolen a BMW from a BMW, BMW, excuse me, dealership there in Nashville. Police got into a chase with this guy, but the chase was called off due to heavy traffic. And someone asked me, why didn't they continue to chase? Well, having uh, patrolled in Nashville, having uh, been in a lot of pursuits in Nashville, trust me, uh, in the environment that that department is in now, Anytime that the supervisor who's in charge of listening to the pursuit and authorizing the pursuit assumes that conditions are too dangerous, they will tell you to signal nine, which is cancel. Or the officer actually chasing has the authority, has officer discretion to signal nine or cancel that pursuit. I and at one time uh, canceled one of my own pursuits because when I looked down and my speedometer was way past the 140 mark and we were on Interstate 24 and this guy was weaving in and out of cars and those cars were running off the road, I said to myself, this is way too dangerous. I'll get him later. And that's exactly what we did. So to answer that question, I mean, either the supervisor called it off because of heavy traffic and he knew that, yeah, this is a danger to the public. That's usually why you call off a pursuit or the officer called off the pursuit. We don't know. Uh, but at any rate, uh, yesterday afternoon, I believe there was a construction worker who saw a uh, narcotics officer uh, who was involved in this search. It was a very massive search for this guy. And he pointed him out and he said, hey, this guy matching his description just went into a wooded area. Uh, police moved in. Reiking was apprehended without incident. And he was carrying a backpack which had a silver 45 caliber um, handgun inside it. So, you know, we don't know yet what the motive was for this shooting. Uh, you know, I heard so much on social media. You know, people were posting videos. Oh, God, if he was black, they would have found him by now. If he was black, they would have shot him as soon as they saw him. You know, since... Since he's white, they're saying he was mentally unstable. Yeah, all the crap you always hear when the suspect is white versus when the suspect is black and how people are so brainwashed to believe one thing or the other. Well, I can tell you how they would have shot him if he would have gone in that backpack and retrieved that silver forty-five caliber. I don't care, black, white, purple, whatever. I assure you, and I know plenty, plenty of Nashville police officers that were involved in this search. I assure you. They would have dropped him with no question and with no hesitation because they, just like me, are trained to watch hands and the actions of those hands, whether they're black, white or whatever. But you know how people on the social media are, you know, people are cowards, people are social media attorneys, social media police. They assume they know everything. But, 
you know, I got to say hats off to a few people here. James Shaw, you know, regardless of his background, I'm sure eventually someone's going to look into that. Who whoop de doo James Shaw, in my mind, is a hero because he was brave enough to jump in front of that gunman and distract him and disarm him, which prevented other people from dying. And then, of course, I want to thank the men and women who were involved in that search, who actually worked tirelessly to find this guy, A, so that he could not kill someone else, and B, so that we could possibly get answers, you know. And he was actually captured not too far from his apartment. Uh, and, you know, some people have questioned that. Well, let's let's dissect it a little bit. He shows up in his truck. He shoots people. He's disarmed. He runs. He doesn't get back in his truck. So he knows he can't circle back because mm, police are going to be there. So then, guess what? He knows that police are going to find out within minutes that he lives at a certain apartment in Nashville. So guess what? He can't go there. So the only thing he can really do is hide out in the area and hope and pray that eventually he can sneak his way home because he didn't really have a plan here for an escape because his plan, if you think about it, was to kill everyone in there and then just go home like nothing happened. But that didn't happen. So he had to hide out close to his apartment where eventually when this died down, the search eventually would have died down. Let's be honest. It would have stopped. And he would have snuck back in his house. He may have tried to leave. He may have tried to get some clothes. He may have tried to stay. We don't know. Or he may have gone there to kill himself. We don't know. But we can tell you his plan was not to get caught. His plan was not to get stopped on that night of the shooting, that early Sunday morning. He wanted to kill everyone in there. We don't know if he was going to go back to his apartment, whether he was going to flee back to Illinois. We don't know, but it was an outstanding job by James Shaw, by the Nashville Police Department, by the TBI, by all the other agencies that helped out and by the citizen that actually spotted him and pointed him out to law enforcement. So it was a great, great group effort by all of those involved and hopefully as this goes along, we can get some answers to why this guy did this. And, you know, again, this case really, really hits home. I've eaten at that Waffle House. I know people that have eaten at that Waffle House. I mean, at any given moment, someone I know could have been in that Waffle House. And, you know, it's it's scary. It goes back to what I always tell people when when I tell them I don't leave home without my pistol. That's exactly why, like you're sitting at a Waffle House at three in the morning. You just came back from a club. And the last thing you're expecting is for someone to come in with an AR-15 and start shooting you. You know what? That's not something people plan on, um, you know, so it just goes back to show something like this can happen at any time and anywhere. I want to switch gears really quick and uh, talk about James Comey. And you guys know the former FBI director. He's got this new book out. Uh, most of it is is slamming President Trump. Uh, he's been on all these 
network shows, you know, not quote unquote promoting the book, but that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, but there's actually uh, a quote from his book and it talks about Michael Brown. And it's very, very interesting uh, to hear this from the former FBI director. And the quote says this, there was reliable evidence that Michael Brown was not surrendering when he was shot. And there was DNA evidence that he has or he was assaulting the officer and tried to take his gun. Let me read that again. There was reliable evidence that Michael Brown was not surrendering when he was shot. And there was DNA evidence that he was assaulting the officer and tried to take his gun. Now, if you remember, the DOJ came in, they investigated this. They said there was no evidence that Officer Darren Wilson acted wrong or uh, used illegal use of force and that Michael Brown was indeed inside that vehicle. Now, here you have it from the former director of the FBI saying exactly that. But you still have people saying it was racially motivated. It was this. It was that and Black Lives Matter and all of this stuff. But you have the top cop, the top cop at the time saying this is what happened. Now, I wonder if certain groups have heard about this in this book. Well, no, they haven't heard about it because that's not the spin the media is doing with this book. The only thing that the media is doing with this book is a President Trump bash. But for those that follow cases like this, for those that cases like this are important to, these are the quotes from the book I would really like to hear. I wonder if he talks about any other case that we've heard about that the DOJ investigated. But I thought it was very interesting that the former director of the FBI, the top cop, would write about Michael Brown in his book. And I wonder why he did it. But I'm actually glad that he put that quote in there. That Michael Brown was not surrendering when he was shot. So it goes back to that whole thing that uh, everyone was saying. You re- remember, hands up, don't shoot. Well, Comey is basically saying hands up, don't shoot is a lie. And he's not the only one that has said that. But here again, top cop saying hands up, don't shoot was a lie. That's not what happened. You were duped by the media. You were duped by presidential candidates. You were duped by President Obama. Because remember, Obama was president when this all happened. And he spoke on it. Hillary Clinton spoke on it. You know, all the regulars spoke on it. But yet the top cop in the nation is telling you what happened that day was justified by that officer. All right, it's time for my 10-7 segment as we are out of time tonight. Tonight I want to honor two uh, officers with the Gilcrest County Sheriff's Office, Gilcrest, Florida. Their end of watch was April 19th, 2018, and you probably heard about this. Sergeant Noel Ramirez and Deputy Sheriff Taylor Lindsay were shot and killed from an ambush as they took their lunch break in a restaurant at 1122 East Wade Street in Trenton. At approximately 3 p.m., a male subject 
opened fire on them from outside the establishment, fatally shooting both through the restaurant's front window. The man was located deceased near the scene by responding deputies. Sergeant Ramirez had served with the Gilcrest County Sheriff's Office for seven years. He is survived by his wife and two children. And Officer Taylor Lindsay had served with the Gilcrest County Sheriff's Office for a total of two years. He was only 25 years old. And when I think about that, I am 20 years older than Deputy Taylor Lindsay. And when, when I think that, I think of a kid because he's almost my daughter's age. And this kid was killed simply sitting at a restaurant eating his lunch. And that really just stirs an emotion in me because when I think back to the Starbucks thing and how these kids were victims because they weren't doing anything, well, this kid, Deputy Sheriff Taylor Lindsay, was a kid and he literally wasn't doing anything. He wasn't trespassing. He wasn't breaking Starbucks policy. He wasn't refusing to leave when officers arrived. He was doing nothing more than eating his lunch. And he and his partner were gunned down for nothing other than being a cop. That's what I call he wasn't doing anything. I want to thank you for listening. I'll see you next week right here, same time, same place, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a Landry football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. At this point, teams have put together their vertical board. They're finishing up, if they haven't already done so, finishing up their position boards. So they're really working hard seven days out on separating the horizontal board and kind of where the separation is and really figuring out what is the likely possibility certain players being there with their first pick, second pick, so on. So you're you're getting through that. You pretty much are trying to gather as much information as you can on what's likely to happen. No, they're not sitting there trying to match up in every mock draft, this and that. That's That's not really relevant. You've heard me discuss that. What is relevant is trying to figure out, again, what are the options that you're going to be faced with when you pick? Chris Landry brings you Landry football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and, of course, RadioInfluence.com.